Hi, I'm Jeff Scoop, and welcome to Beyond Barriers with my uh, co-host, uh, Keisha Dietz. And our special guest this week is Ivan Humble uh, from England. Uh, welcome to the program, Ivan. Hi, uh, Jeff. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, we're really thanks excited to have you. Uh, if you could, Ivan, tell us a little bit about your, uh, in brief, a little bit about your history, um, you know, your former, your former uh, life and uh, what you're doing now in, in, uh, in a few minutes. All right, so in a kind of a nutshell, I was uh, part of the group in, in the UK called the English Defence League, formed in 2009 and was one of the biggest street protest movements in, in the UK at the time. Um, how I got to that? Well, that's another story. But it started with a genuine concern that I had. I see something on the local news about a troops' homecoming parade where our soldiers come back from Iraq. And um, halfway through this parade, um, they were being clapped by everybody. And then about halfway, there's a, some placards go up saying, British soldiers burning hell, uh, butchers of Basra, child rapists, child murderers. And... It was done by a group of about 20, 25 extremist Muslims. So um, it, it started from there, really. I thought to myself, how could they do that, disrupt that parade? Do you know what I mean? But for me, I took it personally as a personal element because some of the soldiers on that parade that day, I knew personally because I was also doing charity work around 2009 for the sister battalion to the one that was abused and I've met young lads of 18 19 years old coming back from Iraq Afghanistan with arms and legs missing you know what I mean um so maybe I took it a bit personally I formed a view um I think there's a next news report afterwards it said something they named a Muslim guy as Adam Chowdhury so naturally I looked online researched him a bit Started seeing some of the things he was saying and thinking, that doesn't seem right. He's even worse than I thought he was. So I had a bit of a concern and I went to my local uh, town hall to speak to an elected councillor there. I don't know what for, but I just had a conversation with him, but didn't feel they listened to me properly. So when I left there, by the time I walked home, it kept replaying in my head and uh, Anger turned to frustration, do you know what I mean? Um, so, like most people, when they're angry, they seem to put a big rant up on Facebook or something, which I did. I put a rant up, um, a few paragraphs about my anger and what I saw. I touched on my charity work and I put my post up. I felt a bit better for that. And then a little while later, I noticed uh, an inbox come up. Um, I answered it straight away, naively, looking back it was naive of me, but back then my social life was social media because my other um, vulnerabilities, I was a bit of a loner, mental health, single dad with two kids. So I kind of enclosed myself at home, but my social life was online. So I didn't think nothing about replying to him. We got into a long conversation for about three hours about, I mean, where... We just back and forth, do you know what I mean? And towards the end of it, the geezer kind of made me feel a bit, he understands me, do you know what I mean? He he saw what I saw, uh, that maybe the councillor didn't for some reason. 
And at the end of the conversation, he said, look, because of that man, Ajahn Chaudhry, we're, going to be, we're thinking about starting a new street protest movement called the English Defence League. Um, the purpose is to stand up against people like Ajahn Chaudhry. Did you want to be a part of it? And I jumped at the chance because it has given me something to do. Um, looking back, hindsight's a good thing when, when you've had a past. Looking back, if my counsellor would have said to me, here, Ivan, here's an email address or this one. I'm not saying it would, Jeff, but a lot of my anger and frustration might have gone into that. But who knows? That's hindsight. But So when he offered me that solution, I jumped at the chance. Started off as a, a Facebook administrator, just chatting to a few people then. Slowly went to my first demo, discovered a new sense of belonging. Like I said, I was a bit of a loner. I'd also suffer from domestic violence. So that stripped me of my masculinity, being a learner with my kids. I just didn't feel like a man, do you know what I mean? But going to a demo, getting involved in some of the stuff that went on, made me feel like a man again. Maybe, I don't know, give me that purpose again, do you know what I mean? And I become obsessed from there, really. Another thing about that sense of belonging for me was the people I've been talking to online, who honestly were strangers to me, the minute I first met them on the demo, it's like I've known them all my life. There's that sort of strange friendship, brotherhood, like that instant connection with people. And then I spent five years, but I say five years, but it was a lack of meaningful engagement with me that drove me further into the echo chambers of hate. And not just the EDL echo chambers, I was going into other echo chambers as well. That, as you know from your experience, they're not as nice as some of the EDL ones were. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's saying quite a lot. So I ended up spending five years in there, but I did have an epiphany moment during that, where I had a, a chance meeting with a white Muslim convert, where we just kind of interacted with each other briefly. Um, that led to six months of conversation where I kind of didn't doubt myself, but I'd learned about that common ground that I'd forgotten about. That, that Some of the things we were saying, this white Muslim convert guy had the same, some of the same fears as I did. I never considered that back then. So, But when we were talking about Islam, he was able to challenge me quite a bit, but when I challenged him on my interpretation of Islam, he didn't understand it. So then that made me sort of think, who's wrong? Am I more knowledgeable than him? Or have I got it wrong? So that sat in my head for a little while. And then I had a chance meeting with my actual perceived enemy, the Muslim with the brown skin and the big beard, do you know what I mean? But for me, I was lucky meeting him because he had a past, he was a former jihadist back in the late 80s, early 90s. So maybe when we spoke, he sees something in me that maybe he recognised from his lived experience, maybe. So we kind of got on to start with. We, we had a bit of conversation. The reason I met him was because he bought a church. And you know how rumours are, it was going to be a super mosque. So instead of a demonstration, I felt, let's go speak to the guy and see what he's got to say. That way I can get a feel of whether he's lying to me or not. So 
So I went to meet him and he kind of knew who I was because he'd already been speaking to another member of my division. And he, I just said to him, look, prove to me it's not going to be a super mosque. He went, that's easy. Kind of looked at him a bit strange. What do you mean that's easy? He said, I've got a planning meeting in two weeks' time. You and some of your EDL members are allowed or are welcome to come along. And you can hear the plans. You can speak to people there. And we went along to this meeting, eight of us. Uh, probably one of the most boring three and a half hour meetings I've sat in. But at the end of the day, Jeff, he was telling me the truth. There's no, no mosque. There was not even a prayer room. It was just a community centre for everybody in that town. Which it kind of gave us a little bit more to work with, I guess, because he didn't lie to me. We progressed in conversation and like I said, I was in conversation for, him to, for two years before I decided that I was wrong because that sense of belonging was keeping me in there longer than my, my mindset was. So, like I said, and we did have a, we did do something positive together as quickly. We did a march together. Uh, my, some of my division of the English Defence League and some of my mate Manwise Muslim community. We did a march together, unheard of, do you know what I mean? Never been done before. Um, it was quite positive. Uh, we walked through the town of Ipswich together. Some people were clapping us, even though they probably didn't know what was going on. But to see us together was quite a powerful thing. When we woke up the next day, um, we'd been sent loads of articles saying we'd made the newspapers from like, the Times newspaper over here down to all the local ones, which was good. I, I thought it was positive. Looking back, I took a lot of positive, positivity for that march because it was in uh, memory of Lee Rigby after he was killed. So we come together because of that, that common ground. Um, like I said, I took a lot of prize outside and inside the movement. But all the negativity was aimed towards my mate Manmar from other, other elements of the Muslim community in the UK. And they weren't being nice to him either, do you know what I mean? Maybe it's because he walked with maybe people who they saw as enemies, but he saw me as a human being. Every time we interacted, he, the first time we met, I like to be controversial, so I was saying everything. I was trying to push his buttons, get him angry. He just sat there and listened to me. And after about an hour, I sort of like, I finished kind of thing. And he went, are you sure you finished? And we just laughed. And then he went, right, <laughs> you've got some really valid concerns amongst that. But we have got some misconceptions. So I just went to him, show me the misconceptions. And that's, that's why it took such a long process, I think, because, like I said, we were talking for two years. And my mindset was, was pretty thick in, the, in that mindset of the us and them. It was never like maybe the neo-Nazi ideology that everybody talks about. Mine was more the anger and frustration. And um, it's weird how... Like, it took my perceived enemy to sit me down and listen to me when nobody else would. Um, I look back at certain elements of my past where I tried speaking to different people. I tried speaking to the left. I tried speaking to the counter-protesters. And I even took part in a counter-protest against the EDL. I marched with them. Um, I've still got the banner here somewhere saying no EDL in Ipswich. But when I was walking with them, I was a part of them. They made me feel welcome. Uh, we would discuss things in a polite way. 
The minute I left that march to join the EDL lads, only 10 of them, I was spat at, pushed. And so instead of reacting how they want me to, I handed business cards out. I never got one email back from that. Do you know what I mean? Nobody, want, nobody was prepared to talk to, to me because my view is different to the majority. That's a great uh, it's, it's the same in the UK now where there's a lot of complex issues that a lot of people have got genuine concerns about. But rather than have that discussion, they're getting labelled. And everybody thinks half our country's racist and we're, we're full of far right, but it's not really like that. No, it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing here. And I think it's really interesting, the parallels. Um, you know, you were talking about Manwar and how he was getting flack from the Muslim community for working with you and vice versa. You were getting flack for working with him. There's so much polarization. And we have the same thing here in the United States. And, and uh, when you were talking about the rallies and how, how people treated each other, uh, you know, I spent 27 years in, involved in the far right here in the National Socialist Movement. And um, both sides... Um, when we'd go to demonstrations, you know, the NSM would assume, you know, we are going to be attacked by Antifa or, you know, years ago they were called ARA or different things. But um, <clears throat> we would often, uh, you know, the confrontations would get violent. A lot of times the far left would attack the police if the police were there. If there was no police, then there was violent clashes and, and things like that. But it, it, there was very rarely did we get out there and have these conversations? And just, just like you explained in your, own, in your own process, when you have these conversations and you have this dialogue, so much, so many, first of all, there's parallels between these movements that we don't really see when we're in there, when we're inside that echo chamber or behind the barriers as, as like uh, with our organization beyond, beyond the barriers, the whole concept is being put, you put the barrier up in your own mind and you're stuck behind it and you can't, see beyond it you've put it there but you can't see beyond it because you can't see you can't see the humanity in the other side and both sides do this and i know and this is something that i know acacia and i wanted to ask you about too because i know you understand it and and you're very uh well spoken on it and um it's something that that we we see also that having this dialogue and having this understanding with the other side and you, you and I, uh, we also have a mutual friend, uh, Dia Khan, that's an absolute expert at this, you know, at sitting down with people that totally, you know, disagree with each other and listening, hearing what they have to say, and then sharing, you know, the other side and, and how that can affect and change people's lives is just absolutely phenomenal. And, and you don't see it when you're in these movements. So that's why it's so important um, and, and I do agree with you, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, and, and I'm careful how I say this, but I think the press, the, the media makes a boogeyman out of the far right a lot of times and by no means, and I have to preface that and say by no means am I making an excuse for it, but by saying only the, and I've, I've seen it in, you know, we've got riots and things going on in the United States right now and I've seen it right now, like literally day after day where if, people that support the police or people that come out and uh, or consider themselves patriots, they get into physical confrontations with the left. The media will say, right-wing extremists came and attacked these peaceful protesters. We watch the live streams. We watch, uh, yeah. as part of our work with Beyond Barriers, we'll watch the live streams even from Antifa, even from the left. And we're seeing 
in a lot of cases, and just and I'm saying this from my experience in the right, in the far right too, because one of the rules we had in when I was running the National Socialist Movement was you never, ever, ever hit anyone first. You know, you only defend yourself. And quite often, and that's why for 27 years when I was involved, 25 in the leadership position, no one was ever arrested from, from our organization, from my former organization, all those years at a rally for fighting because it was always self-defense. But when the media reports on it, they'll say right-wing extremists attack the left and, and things like that. And it's not always accurate. It's like they're trying to, in, in a lot of ways, push a certain narrative and Hey, there is, there's violence on both sides and there's inappropriate behavior. I've, I've seen it. I've seen guys on the ground that the, the right is beating the hell out of. And I've seen guys on the ground that the left is beating the hell out of to say that it's one side and not being fair. It gives the other side a narrative to play the victim and to say, uh, to say, Hey, look, we were attacked here. We didn't do nothing, but the media is lying about us. And then all of a sudden, all the people that saw that, that saw what really took place, all of a sudden they've got a whole new uh, line of recruits coming in because they feel victimized. What do you think about that? I've seen the same here, do you know what I mean? It's the same kind of thing exactly because the reporting side of things, I kind of talk about that as well a bit because when Black Lives Matter came here, we had the big protests and there was trouble there. We see it. It was filmed. Like you say, we watch videos. Um, but when it was reported in the press over here, it was there's an element of about 400 people causing trouble. Back in the day, when we were at a demo, if there's a few people causing trouble, it was a, the whole of the demo were causing trouble. It, it paints a different picture. Plus, uh, over here, there's a bit of an argument about how the police policed the Black Lives Matter protest. But in fairness to the police, when that demo happened in London, there was no real warning. People just turned up. So then the police had to change tactics from the coronavirus to public safety. So their kind of hands were tied. But then the way they police had demo the following week against some of the far white people there, there was violence. People were saying that's unfair, but the Black Lives Matter didn't, brag all week over social media that they were going to London to protect statues of that. They just turned up. When you give police a warning, they're going to be prepared. They're going to be there with a the white shield. Plus, all these mixed messages at the minute around Black Lives Matter, race especially is becoming a big topic again at the minute. There's so many things, too many little rabbit holes for people to fall down that have got genuine concerns. It's a worry. Mm -hmm. It's well, interesting that you mentioned that about, you know, and I heard you mention it before, like there are actual valid grievances mm -hmm. on all sides. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're playing the all sides thing or the both sides things. But no, if there weren't legitimate valid grievances of any kind, neither side would have the narrative and neither side would be able to take control of the narrative. But, you know, the problem is, is that, and you mentioned it, you had these grievances, nobody was listening. Who listened to you? Who gave you a solution and who gave you a purpose? And we see that here in the United States. I mean, the, the far right differs a little bit between here 
in the UK as far as what their objectives are and some of the grievances. But all around, you know, with any form of extremism, it boils down to who is going to listen to you, who is listening to your grievances, who is listening to your concerns, and who is going to offer a solution. Now, that solution might not always be correct, and a lot of times it's not, but when you're there in that moment, you see, you see somebody's listening to me, somebody's addressing my issues that I am having, and they're giving me a solution. But then again, the same way out that you got into the extreme is kind of the same way you got out. Here, you sat down with your perceived other. You, you know, they, they were, he was the enemy, but he didn't view you as the enemy. And so therefore, even though he completely disagreed with you, was willing to sit down and listen to you. So once again, somebody is listening to you and then you realize, maybe I don't get it all right. And that's that thing, like I said, everybody's got a blinkered view and you'll only ever see past, you'll never see past your viewpoint, whatever mm -hmm. side of the fence, whatever issue it is. And you we spent years and years and centuries even arguing who's right and wrong. There's been no middle ground for centuries. Now we need to look at the common ground. And yep. the conversation is so important at the minute because, like I said, if we don't have the conversation, other people are. And that's where the problem is. We've all got this big good view, right? But I think if we all sat around the table, some of the, the viewpoints are shared by different people, but they're going about it individually instead of uniting on that common ground where you've got more strength, you've got more power, you've got more influence if you're together. We just, we're fighting each other all the time for no reason. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's got us nowhere. It's not getting us anywhere. So we need people that, that I guess, like us, I guess, that are prepared to step out of their comfort zone and remain neutral and try to help people see people as people. It's not about picking a side no more. We've done that for years. It's got to nowhere. Tick boxes, labels, it's got us in this situation. Now we're creating more labels and tick boxes to fit everybody in us. We need to break that circle of, of hate somehow. And the only way to do it is by doing it together. And there's right. no more yeah. separate sides or he said this, he said that. You've got to come together. There's no way, if buts maybe. And I'm not going to deny, there's going to be people out there that don't want to change, that you can't help. It's not about them. It's about the ones you can help. Don't label exactly. everybody the same as, as that bad person where there's obviously you can help, which is why I'm quite adamant about not picking a side on everything. I want to help the innocent people like, not innocent because they've probably done some wrong, but people that were sucked into because there's no other option for them, there's no other path. Yep. I want to be that other path, do you know what I mean? Well, that's one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on the program, too, because we've seen that, that you're, you know, we try to be that way uh, as well with Beyond Barriers and everything we do, because I think that's the only, and, and uh, that's why we wanted to have you on as well, because we see that you're doing the same thing. You're not saying, uh, and, and I'm not going to point anybody specifically out because we don't do that in this program or we try not to, but I've seen so many people in the CVE, uh, community in confronting violent extremism that are, uh, 
very far on the left that I would, I would technically consider some of them ex leftist extremists. And they want to convince people from the far right that their ideas are right. And that's their plan basically to de-radicalize is to come and tell somebody you're wrong. You need to believe in this. And if you don't believe in this and don't get in line with this, you're still a radical. And that's, <laughs> I mean, in my experience, that doesn't work. It almost never, ever works. We see maybe 5% of people that swing from far left to far right or far right to far left. And to me, that's somebody that's just switching from one form of extremism to another. I think in the work that we do, sure, we all have personal opinions. Some of us may be in the center. Some of us may be a little on the right. Some of us may be on the little on the left. If, and we all, everyone has their personal opinions. But I think in this community and the work that we're doing, at least in my opinion, I'd like your, uh, your thoughts on it as well. But I feel like we have to remain central. We have to, um, as a collective whole, find the commonalities, like you just said, and, and basically, and tell a person, they're not wrong, per se, you know, like hatred is wrong, being, you know, hating someone because the color of their skin or their religion, that's wrong, obviously. But understanding the grievances and, and saying, you know what, it's okay to, you know, be against immigration or to be for immigration. It's okay to, you know, have these ideas, but not, you know, to hate others or hold others down in the process, but to be there in the center. I think right now with the radicalism we're seeing in our streets here, being in the center is, it's a hard place to be a lot of times, but it's the right correct place to be because we have to find some semblance and balance to to get the nation back on track i feel uh, i think you're right everything you just said about see we're still being forced to pick a side even with academic academia and everything now do you know what i mean we seem so set on you, you know the far right want to put everybody in their own little groups the far left to help with them do that 100 percent quicker than the far right could ever do do you know what i mean and in america I normally talk about America different to the UK because too many people over here look at the UK for an American lens. It's different. I mean, you, the UK and the US are totally different. But you've, you've got proof of conversation and dialogue work in America. Look at Daryl Davis. Yes. Right? He, he's just one person who's helped two to three, four hundred people out. That's one person. Imagine if hundred people did that. You'd get more and more. This is how we do it. it Daryl Davis is, is setting the benchmark, I think. He set us something to to aspire to. Do you know what I mean? Because it's mad I talk about it. Because when I first see Daryl, I heard about Daryl Davis. Was, and I, I, want to, I, want to throw, I want to throw this in there just not to interrupt you, but Daryl Davis is part of our staff. He's part of the Beyond Barriers team. We are absolutely honored to have him. He is one of a kind, and, and he has a, a absolute gift, just like Dia Khan, where he can sit down with people and find those commonalities, and uh, Daryl's a great friend of mine, so I, I'm really glad you brought him up, but please yeah, it's like I, I guess Daryl's had a bit of an influence on me, because I've become aware of Daryl around 2014, when I'd left Edel behind, and I was just searching online for some, some other stuff. And I was watching Daryl, and it was his message of, why do you hate me? And I thought, do you know what? Maybe that's what I should do is I should go and tell people why I hated. Which is kind of what I've done. That's why I started off going doing talks to the Muslim community especially, explaining why I hated it. People, that, people don't just like wake up one day and hate Muslims. There's a process. I, 
and that's how I started off doing what I did. And then a lot of my my journey has been luck because we'll talk about Dia a minute, about the documentary White Right. So you remember that one, Jeff, remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you would. Right, so we'll talk about that documentary quickly. When I was filming that with Dia, I took an ex-member of my EDL division up to a mosque in Manchester to have a look round, have a tour. It was Ramadan, so we had some food. And um, it was just giving him the opportunity to sit around a table with somebody as well, do you know what I mean? And that's what's missing, that dialogue, that, that conversation. And you see it even when Dia was speaking to you in White Right. I could see she was making a difference to you because your eyes, your body language changed when she started speaking. I've met Dia, I've heard the story about when she was a little girl on that demo. It's heartbreaking, do you know what I mean? So that's when I started following you, Jeff, then, do you know what I mean, around that time. But like I said, Dale Davis, for me, has been quite a big inspiration because he's proven that dialogue works. If you can remain neutral and sit on a table, he'd get hate as well, do you know what I mean? But he still stands his ground, which is, he's a man we have to aspire, not to be, but to carry on his work, do you know what I mean? He's proven it works, do you know what I mean? I want to say about, about Daryl too, and you're you're absolutely right about dialogue. For those that are listening that don't know Daryl, Daryl is a black man that, as Ivan said, has helped de-radicalize over 200 people from the Ku Klux Klan, from the Nazi movement. Um, it's it's hundreds now, but I know it's well over 200. And uh, black people don't attend Klan rallies, but. Daryl has done that and, and he, they have let him go into these places. So I mean, he has a special gift. He has a way about him and he'll tell you too, it is dialogue and he, and you're right. And I, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that he get, catches flack too, because he, he certainly does. In fact, just recently um, he was called a Nazi. You know, I don't know. I see that. And a white supremacist, supremacist. You know, he'll he'll tell you. I mean, they call him, and he's black. You know, so uh, I was speaking with him. I think it was at New York University, um, but he'll he'll mention these things in speeches, and he's actually pretty humorous too. But he'll say, "Yeah, I was called a white supremacist," and he'll look down at his skin, and then he'll look at the audience, and and you know, everybody laughs because. But that's how intolerant. That shows an example of how intolerant. Yeah some of the uh, the different sides are, you know? So like right now in America, if a lot of people, and I don't want to keep lambasting the left because then I get crap for that too, but, yeah. but I'm being honest. If a person's wearing a Trump hat or a Make America Great Again hat, a lot of people on the far left extreme will call those people Nazis and they, they're, they're not Nazis, they're not even close, but they might, uh, they may consider themselves a patriot or a Republican or whatever, but there's so much polarization in the country right now that those people are considered Nazis and the right does the same thing. I'm not giving anybody a free pass here. The right does the same thing. Like if you're voting for Joe Biden, people on and some, not everybody, but you know, there's people on the right that'll say, well, you're a communist, you know, or you're a Marxist or you're a, you know, uh, because you're voting for the Democrats. And these are not accurate viewpoints. I mean, yes, there is communists on the left. And yes, there is Nazis on the right. If, if you could classify it in, in, in there, we could break that down and say, well, National Socialism is not really far right, but we're not going to get into that. But it's considered right by most people. So uh, far right. So 
these people are painting with a broad brush and what we're missing in the United States and in England and, and other places is that dialogue and that common ground. And when you sit down with somebody like any of us or, or Daryl or Dio or, or anybody that's doing this type of work, that's, that's doing it the correct way, you can sit down and find those commonalities. And um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, too, we talk about Daryl attending Klan rallies or things like that with uh, Dia, when she, when we were filming white, right? There was people from the NSM that had never in their guys that are 40, 50 years old that had never even met a Muslim person in their life. She was the first Muslim person and I, I can think of a few of them just right off the top of my head. Obviously, I don't name people, but the, there was several people that had told her, I'd never met a Muslim before. And they liked her because she was, she's, well, you know her. She's a great person. Yeah. Well, it was, it was the same for me. I come from a white town. The population still is 99.9% white. Um, so the first time I met my white Muslim convert friend, back in 2011, he was the first Muslim I met at the age of 41. Perfect. Right. You know what I mean? So, although we're in my town now, we've got a population of around 71,000 people. We've got a Muslim community of 100 people. So, and they're all men. So we don't see the hijab, we don't see the burqas. We don't see none of that. So, it's like, like any white area, they're called racist, but it's not as that lack of understanding of the other or getting to know the other. It's not, they're not racist. It's just that they've never had experience and they've, they're guided by the media and what's online and the online space is quite, there's quite a big division online. Oh yeah. I was going to say, if you look out your window, it's quite nice, but in the, in America, you can't do that like here, do you know what I mean? Right. The online division isn't on the streets like it is in America, do you know what I mean? I think I see someone on Twitter the other day, I think it was last night, Portland's now having its 87th night of trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's Portland's crazy. crazy. That, what's, that, what's that gaining? What's it proving? What's it changing? It's not, it's just feeling more anger because you think of the people living in them areas, they've got to put with that night after night. It can't be nice for them, do you know what I mean? I just can't understand what's fueling it for that long that they can keep going that many nights in a row. Do you know what I mean? Well, and well, it's not even just there. I mean, that's kind of like the center point of it right now. But then, you know, now we've got in Kenosha, Washington, or Wisconsin, sorry. Um, they're just burning the city to the ground, essentially. The second night in a row last night. And I mean, it's over a police shooting and there's debate whether it was justified or not. I'm not going to get into all that, but justified or not, police shooting or not, that's no reason to burn a city to the ground because that's not going to help anybody. It's somebody's livelihood as well. They're taking. You know that's I mean? exactly it. I, I know. And it's spreading to residences too. It's like when the riots kicked off in America at the start after George Floyd, which is tragic. Mm -hmm. I, I see a couple of videos online of, people burning and looting shops and these shops were black people shops and that black person was in tears. Do you know what I mean? I thought she's worked all her life to get that and you just burned it down in seconds and you're screaming black lives matter. It's, there's a lot of mixed messages or muddy water around the black lives message on both sides over here and there. That's making it a bit hard now to challenge people. 
because yeah. we have black people speaking out against Black Lives Matter now, and we see black people arguing with each other, calling each other some of them. If we called them some of the names, we'd be up on charges or something. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's just, it's crazy at the moment that everyone's so divided. Nobody's, there's no togetherness at the minute. Do you know what I mean? In, in whatever community you talk about, everyone's divided. Mm -hmm. But I think I'd like to talk about that as well. I, I think that's that's something something that we really haven't touched upon a lot. And, and I mean, we can discuss about the, the riots a little bit too. Acacia's uh, really up to speed on a lot of that because we do watch the, keep track of the live streams and stuff. But one of the things that, that I've noticed that really bothers me is, is um, especially coming out of uh, the Nazi movement that I've been in for so long, is I'm seeing what I, what I call is like the re-racializing of society right now, you know, where everything is focused on race. Um, even some of the top politicians in the country, um, when they've talked about the riots and things like that, the, and, and you just mentioned it too, and I, and I know you didn't mention it in a polarizing manner, but uh, where a lot of people are saying, well, they hurt black owned businesses or immigrant owned businesses or minority businesses. But when I, when I think of that, uh, when I think of them saying that, and it's a good point and I understand the point, but they burn people's businesses down. That it, it, yeah. To me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's like saying, and I know it's reactionary too, but like coming from the white perspective, it's okay, so it's a, it means it's okay to burn down white businesses as long as you're not burning down the Hispanics or the Asians, you know, that's, that's the old reactionary thinking. But I look at it as like this, okay, it doesn't matter if it was a white person, a black person, brown, yellow, someone's business got burned down because of it. Okay, even if you're mad at the cops, you're mad at the system, and you're going and you're protesting the police, or you're even, I understand the rage and anger, and, um, and I don't pretend to understand, uh, or you know, I have sympathy for the black struggle and, and other struggles, but I don't pretend to understand that I know what it's like to be black because I, I haven't been, you know, I, I'm not pretending to, to feel all their pain and all, all these different things, but I'm just saying it from a point of rationality. If your cause and what you're doing, you know, if you're taking out your anger at the system, and I'm not, I'm not, but I have to be so careful saying this, I'm not promoting that either about taking out anger on the system either, because, uh, but I'm saying some people could understand that, but when you're going and you're tearing down churches and car dealerships and somebody's karate dojo and a furniture store and black owned white owned i don't care what color they are businesses they're in kenosha the last two nights um it was miles and miles of cities businesses homes catching on fire exploding cars the street was filled with rubble and like some of the buildings exploded. It looked like a uh, bombing from Syria. Uh, it, it was uh, f the first news reports I saw two nights ago and I haven't looked, I mean, I've been watching the live streams, but two nights ago I saw something about uh, trending protests. That isn't a protest. That looked like a, a freaking war zone. And, and, and it was, and this is going on in different places. And even even if one could justify the rage and the anger and all this kind of stuff, when you're harming innocent people, this is what concerns me because now, even if those people supported the cause, like, like there was a, a picture 
And I almost posted it and then I changed my mind and I didn't post it, but it was a, a sign of a business that had a support Black Lives Matter up on the business and that entire business was destroyed, completely destroyed. And there was flames up all around the sign and stuff like that. The wow, the, ir the irony of that is not lost on me, but it, uh, I don't, I feel like, and, and I don't want to lambast the media too bad, but it's like, come on, you know, I mean, even if that, if that's your cause, and now you, ha and not everybody's out there rioting, looting, that would be unfair to say too, because they're not. But the ones that are doing that are damaging that cause. And, and uh, uh, I, I think the message is being lost. Nobody under, nobody is, is saying, well, whether it's George Floyd or whether it's some of the other people that were victimized, I don't think that uh, their mess, that message is being heard anymore. Now it's all about the violence and the riots and, um, I just think it's tragic all, all the way around, and I, I, yeah, I feel for the lives being damaged or and hurt. You know, it goes back to dialogue again. If we want change, we have to sit around that table and we have to listen to some some difficult things. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's that society's inability to be able to act responsibility for this for itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where we're going wrong. It's it's all about identity politics as well. Now we're all being pushed into our little groups and it's making dialogue even harder and harder now, do you know what I mean, as well. But, what, uh, and I yeah. want to ask you about that. I don't mean to cut you off, but that's, I went on a little bit of a, a rant there, but that was the whole, that was my original thought and point and what I wanted your thoughts on with when I said like society's re-racializing, like mm. they're making like it all about blacks here or about and then other people say well what about us what about us that's just a, i think a natural reaction from a lot of people they feel left out of that even though i think it's important i think it's important to uplift black people absolutely but um i think when you start focusing on just race and and this is my concern anyways and i want your thoughts on it and then acacia's as well but when you focus so much on race in my opinion and from my ex lived experience I feel like they're not, maybe not trying to create more racism, but by doing that and having separate spaces, and we saw this in some areas too, like this is just for black people. It's almost like resegregating and it's, I think it's causing more racism. It's, I've seen more racism right now in this country than I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, that's probably true for over here as well. About, you didn't see this racism that long ago, do you know what I mean? Or if it was, it's just, there's no easy answers, do you know what I mean? But both sides arguing who's right or wrong is never going to solve anything, do you know what I mean? I keep going back to that thing about we need dialogue so badly. And I just don't know how else to get a message out any louder, do you know what I mean? Because whatever counter-narrative or whatever thing you do in life, it starts with a conversation, dialogue. The most simplest thing that we get and the most basic human need is to be understood if we give people that things do become easier do you know what i mean like my hatred for the muslim community is there no more because meeting one or two of them they've taken me into their community i know met my biggest support now is the muslim community in the uk which is a bit bizarre but because i'm honest about my story and i tell them how it is i don't hide nothing because you have to be honest. You have to tell them 
exactly what went wrong. You can't skip a little bit on your story because it might hurt somebody. You got to tell them then. You got to give people the big picture, not part of the picture. That's what I'm kind of saying. Do you know what I mean? And isn't it, isn't it ironic, Ivan? You know, here you were a guy that was campaigning against Muslims, and they had been. <clears throat> now they're your greatest uplifters and your greatest supporters. You know, it, it's, it's honestly, really Jeff, it's, cool. it's surreal, really. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I think. I hate you lot for five years and done a lot of bad things, but you still treat me with kindness. I'm one of, not one of them as in I'm a Muslim, but I'm part of their life, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's like I used to get treated well in the EDL with that brotherhood there. I've now got it with friends that have no agendas or nothing, and I get taken out. I've had, I suppose one of the best things on my journey, if I'm honest, is the food. Uh, I can't lie. Food is one of the things that's brought us together along my journey. And I live in a little seaside town in the UK, right? And our takeaways, we don't get half a selection as I do in some of the towns I've visited in the UK. So I've been spoiled for choice. I've been, my eyes have been open to something that I didn't realise was out there. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, <clears throat> you know, hearing your story and, and uh, my own too, you know, it's like I've, for me, I vilified and railed against the Jewish people for 27 years. I mean, and I was awful, awful uh, things. And, you know, the Simon Wiesenthal Center reached out to me and I, I've done some work with them. And honestly, like Simon Wiesenthal Center has been one of my biggest supporters as far as uh, helping me and speaking up for me. And, and uh, they've, been, they've been phenomenal. They're a great support and, and they've been wonderful friends. And, and it, it, you know, you know, I don't even, a lot of times I get to a loss of words even talking about it because it's like, here I vilified the Jewish people and they've been so good to me since I've been out, so kind and loving and it's just, it's just, it just blows your mind. It's kind of like my work I do now, I work with a Muslim guy, we're like a double act, so, and I've changed my views, my mindset, and some of the things I used to say, I'm not comfortable saying no more. But he loves me saying that, do you know what I mean? So when we're doing a workshop in front of an assembly of kids at school, he'll do, we do a little introduction and he'll say, Ivan, what did, what did you used to think of people like me? And I would just go, I didn't like you much. He went, tell them the truth. And he points at the kids and, the, and all the kids look at me and I'm sort of on the spot thinking, I hated you, all right? I hated you. And the shock for the kids is unreal. But then he quickly runs over, gives me a hug and says, you're working with me now. And we'll tell you my, we tell my story later on, do you know what I mean? But that shock value, I think is important because I'm not saying everyone's lazy, but sometimes talking's not enough. Yep. You have to actually visualize it and see it with your own eyes to see that keep people can be different, can be friends. We talk about serious subjects. Uh, we're from two different backgrounds, but the message is the same. Do you know what I mean? And we do disagree on stage because we don't agree on everything. We do challenge each other. And that's good to show the kids as well because you can still have different opinions, but it's about respecting it. And, exactly. And I think it's so powerful that it's, it's sad that we have to prove it with our own eye to, 
to make people see it, then it won't. Do you know what I mean? But for me, that me and you education that I'm with now is like my new sense of belonging kind of thing because it's all about the me and you brand is all about the conversation. So our strap line is create the conversation. It's about the me and you, not the us and them conversation anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And it's just, like I said, it's so sad that we have to prove it by working together. It's just saying people can't, well, it does work. Do you know what I mean? But we always tell people it, to, to go out and meet anybody. It doesn't have to be a Muslim or a Sikh geezer or a white guy. Go meet a homeless guy. Go meet somebody who's disabled. Chat to them. Have a conversation with them. Hear their story. You then you get a better sense of compassion, I guess. Guess and then you you start to relate to people, and then you realise that people are going through worse things in human life. So it's good to be nice than it is to be horrible sometimes. That, no, little, I, I, that little bit of kindness goes a long way. Do you know what I mean? Like, look how infectious a smile can be. If we can do that with dialogue, see, the disappointing thing for me, I guess, over here. Is when COVID started, and that was horrific, there was a positive, and that was that that reconnection of common ground, uh, people needing each other, people helping each other out, it doesn't matter who they were, clapping on the doorsteps by National Health Service. If we could have carried some of that connection spirit, that reconnection, so about now, we could have seen a bit more change, I think, a bit more understanding, but we've got this big division instead. And that's disappointing, do you know what I mean? Because a few, two months ago, the kind of world was coming together a bit more because we needed each other. Now lockdown's lifting in places, mixed in with all conspiracy theories around it. So we're getting this, this new world, do you know what I mean? And, and I think throughout COVID, there's been too many gaps in the conversations that extremists have been able to exploit. Exactly. And we're seeing it even more so now, like the extremists are controlling the narratives on both sides. And I've said it to, you know, many other people in conversation and whatnot, you know, because a lot of people would be like, oh, well, <clears throat> the right, the far right's a bigger threat or the far left's a bigger threat or this or that. And I want to look at them. I'm like, you know what? We are the biggest threat to ourselves if we're not going to sit down and have dialogue. And dialogue and conversation doesn't mean sitting down and listening to something that you like. Having dialogue and conversation and listening oftentimes means sitting and listening to a viewpoint that you might utterly detest. But you sit down, you listen, you show the mutual respect. I mean, that's how Dia got to you, Jeff, and Daryl's got to you, and that's how... Uh, Manwar, is that his name? Yeah. That you sat down? That's how, you know, he got down. He, he, he probably didn't like a single thing that you had to say at that time. But he yeah, sat down, he, showed he you respect, and me. listened. Yeah, and so. that's the thing. We, we've forgotten how to respect each other. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's quite a sad state of the world, really. Do you know what I mean? When you think how long people have been tackling racism for in the world... And we're at this point today, do you know what I mean? And I think you're right, earlier what you said, Jeff, we spent too much time looking for a boogeyman to blame. That this is this mess has got out of hand now, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. we, we all need that person to blame. Mine was the Muslim community. But 
it was false. It was it was wrong. It was a fallacy. It was make believe in my head. Yeah. And by me coming together with him, my life's improved. I know that. Do you know what I mean? My kids' life has has improved because of that. Do you know what I mean? It's, that connection is so important. I can't. I know I repeat it, but I'm so passionate about that point. Do you know what I mean? There's lots of people out there probably going to watch this or think, you can't talk to the other side. You are part of the problem. If you can't sit down and talk to somebody, then uh, I've seen mates in my town. I can't be mates with you now because you don't support the Black Lives Matter or you don't support the same thing I do. It's, it's crazy that people have been made to pick a side and it's cost friendships, which is sad. Oh, yeah. I mean, really I'm, sad. I'm friends with lots of different people from all different nationalities, races, viewpoints even, I mean, political affiliations. But we can still talk. It doesn't mean we discuss viewpoints. We're still human. We're still friends. Just because I don't agree with him, it, it shouldn't mean that I have to forget about my friend for 20 years because he doesn't think like me. That's wrong. It is. It is. And, you know, the perfect, example, the perfect example is your friendship with Manoir, or, or we've mentioned if Daryl Davis, and I will bring him up again, if Daryl Davis, a black man, can go to a cross-lighting with the Ku Klux Klan, anybody can do this. I, I mean, well, if you're in the right mindset, you know, and you have to, it's, you have to be courageous about it. You have to be willing to hear uncomfortable truths or, or excuse me, con uncomfortable discussions. You know, it may not be truth, but like Acacia said, sometimes you might even have to sit down and listen to something you absolutely detest. That's, you know, Dia explained that on a, a podcast uh, last week or the week before. And it was, it, she said it very eloquently as well. And I mean, that's something even myself. Okay. I'm very anti-communist. I, I, that's a personal bias that I have. I don't like communism. I have on purpose listened to some, you know, people from the far left. I, I don't know if I would call them friends, but they're uh, acquaintances. Um, I have no reason not to be friends with them, even though I disagree with their political ideology. But they are people that talk to me and they say, did you know that, um, you know, this part, one individual is a uh, far left communist and he says you know one of the things i do is i grow food and i give to the poor i said i didn't know communists did that because i had been very anti-communist my whole life you know and he's like yeah maybe you should try listening sometime you know and it's like okay well i'm not going to convert and i'm not going to become a communist but i didn't know that and i can get on board with that that's a good thing good job you know and so even I'm, i challenge myself in that way as well to listen to to different people and, and i think if someone if people like us have been able to make that change and to and to be able to reach across the across the barriers to others or do like daryl davis a black man meeting with the clan it can be done. We have to have these difficult conversations. We have to try to understand each other. It's we like, don't all have to agree, but we can try to understand. Over in America, it's been proven time and time again with most of the formers over there. Life After Hate, for example, Brad Galloway, Arno, and all the crew there, they're brilliant. They, they mm -hmm. kind of understand that, that connection as well. Uh, and it's a shame some of the formers kind of don't get on with each other. Do you know what I mean? Because we're, we're still fighting the same fight kind of thing, but our lived experiences give us different experiences, and maybe we have different ideas how to challenge it. It doesn't mean we're wrong. We should be arguing with each other. Do you know what I mean? 
We right. should at least respect each other still, do you know what I mean? And try to go on for, for the greater good because division is everywhere and it's, it's, bad. it's sad to see it amongst formers, people that are, have done the hard bit by leaving and and now they're going for this this, this this argument again with people, do you know what I mean? It's, it's just not necessary and not needed at a, a crucial time like this where formers, I think, and their lived experience is needed more than ever. Right. Well, there's okay. always... Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, there's always going to be, and, and again, we won't name anybody, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a few formers that have been really nasty to, to us, and, and, uh, but most of, most of them, most of the ones I know are, are very, very good people. But there's, there's a handful that have caused drama, and those are the same kind of people that caused drama uh, before when they were in the movement, um, you know, 20 years ago or, or whatever. Uh, and uh, most of the time, I think it's best to it, not acknowledge them or to ignore their behavior or things like that, because they're, when, when people are acting in that manner and trying to, uh, it, it's, it's even hard to understand why some people do that. But it's, I think it's, um, they think they know best and, um, you know, some of us have different tactics. Someone's one person's tactic or one group's tactic might be different than the others, but we are all reaching different people. And as long as we're reaching some people, we're all doing good work. And that's why we uh, specifically don't uh, lash out against um, any, any of them, even if we disagree with them. But um, the vast majority, uh, just about everybody that, I, that I've worked with has been uh, really, really good. And, and I think those individuals that, um, that do engage in some of that sniping at, at other people, they need to re, re, reflect upon their own lives and why they do that sort of thing. And maybe they, maybe they just need help, you know, maybe it's a cry for help in some way and, and uh, um, they need to reach out to a mental health expert or, or, or something else. But, um, but it's not being easy to form. There's lots to go with it when you leave as well. Do you know what I mean? I'm not really not getting help with some of the trauma I've had. I didn't realize I had. So I started speaking to somebody the other day, do you know what I mean? Our progression journey's ongoing, do you know what I mean? None of us are perfect. Right. The more, the more we understand it, the more we accept responsibility for our, our life and our mistakes, I believe we can do good. But you've got, oh, yeah. you've really got to understand your mistakes and understand why you hate it to, to make a difference. Yep. One you thing I've heard you... It, it's an ongoing process. We'll all be mm. on a, you'll be on a journey for the rest of your life, Jeff, like I will, do you know what I mean? This journey is really just beginning, really. We're still on that path, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. One thing well, I've uh, seen on Twitter a lot, and I know I've seen it on um, your some of your posts and whatnot, is the hashtag lived experience and yeah. lived experiences. And I think that's very important no matter what kind of background um, you're coming from, but like to have lived experiences and to learn from each other's, like a lot of times I've seen, you know, social media can be horrible nowadays. It can be a great thing and it can be a horrible thing at the same time. But a lot of times it seems as though people want to be like, that's great you changed and everything else. We don't want to hear about it. Just, you know, 
how are you going to make up for all the wrong you did? And, and how are you going to do penance for it? Which, you know what? Yes, there is a lot that can be done. And I think, you know, all of us are doing our best to do it, but how is anybody supposed to learn if we don't share our lived experiences? I mean, it's not, people don't just go out and say, you know, this is what I was and this is what I did. Well, some do to glorify their past, but going through and saying, you know what? I was absolutely wrong for what I did. I was wrong for the avenue that I took, regardless if I thought I was justified or if I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. It was wrong. So this, if people don't hear these things, then they can't learn. And if we don't learn from each other, then what do, what do we learn from? You know, I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And I think it was probably one of the first times I'd seen it was probably on a post that um, either you or somebody else had done, Ivan, that was like hashtag lived experiences. It's like, look, I'm not proud of what I was, yeah, but this is yeah. what I learned from it. I, I do that. I do post that quite a lot because um, I don't just tell people my story. I tell them what I've learned from my mistakes. Do you know what I mean? I didn't exactly. just say I did this or I left. I go into detail. I talk really about a lot about my personal life and some of the things I went through and describe some of them. Do you know what I mean? I give them the bigger picture to what people think, oh, you're just far right. I was know that. I was a person with all these other vulnerabilities that my life weren't going there, and I had to blame somebody. And I guess, for me, my buggy man was a Muslim community, like I said earlier. It's, it's just strange <clears throat> that we just can't have that conversation, do you know what I mean? I know we keep, we keep talking about dialogue all the time, but well, it's the simplest thing to think, simplest concept, and people still aren't doing it. It's, I think maybe it's because they're scared of the, the conversation back or the reply. The, the other person may say something that resonates with them and makes them rethink their viewpoint, which is a good thing about dialogue. You need that challenge. Exactly. <clears throat> and I and we and we're talking about formers. You know, I do want to. Um, we've never done this on the show before, but uh, you know, and I know we're always promoting Beyond Barriers because that's our organization. That's what we put out there. But there are other great organizations out there. Uh, there's Light Upon Light. Our friend Jesse Morton. Uh, yeah, of course. They're a great group. Life After Hate is out there. Uh, you know, so we uh, put in a couple a couple plugs for those for those two. Uh, I don't know who's over in England that. Uh, people can talk to not really like you've got in america you see because i i can't go into detail about that but we haven't got the kind of support you have over there do you know what i mean or we have but not maybe the right people there right understandable the easiest way to say it but like i say i like jesse as well because jesse's one of them as well who understands the need of dialogue and yes and he's not scared to to say it as it is and we need people like Jesse, do you know what I mean? And I got on really well with Jesse, do you know what I mean? I met him a couple of years back online and we've been become good friends. And he understands the root causes. It's not about, it is about the ideology, but that's the last step of the journey. And, right. and I think both sides of the pond are pretty good at tackling ideology. There's lots of great people doing that. But what we're not good at is 
getting our hands dirty at the grassroots level because people are scared to talk about complex issues. But, but you have to disengage. That's it, Jeff. They're the conversations we need to have. If not, various extremists will be having them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then people are involved in that vicious circle again. There's, there's no escaping it over the years. We've been in this circle for years. Do you know what I mean? I suppose 100 years ago, the First World War maybe was different because we all needed each other then again. It was one of those times where we had to come together. So it's, it's good through circles, do you know what I mean? There'll probably yeah, be a time yeah. in the future where that happens again. But it needs to continue like that, do you know what I mean? Well, we've said, we, I know we've said it on this program a couple of times, but we, you know, I, I've thrown out the hypothesis of, of uh, well, if the, if the world was invaded by aliens from another planet tomorrow, the world would here the world would come together it didn't it wouldn't matter what color the guy next to you was or what religion because the aliens were invading and i know you know it's maybe far-fetched maybe not but, but um, it's something, right. something like that at times of crisis we need each other yes uh like for example if there's like over here, if there's an attack or some kind the community comes together to help each other do you know what i mean we're it's kind of like we're forced to do it where it shouldn't be like it, it should be natural we shouldn't need a disaster to happen to bring people together. It should be a natural process that that's life, do you know what I mean? The trouble with people our age, I think, we're probably part of the problem still because there's lots of people out there my age with a lot of different views to me because it's what they're used to. They're, they're not used to change, they fear change. When we're probably dead and gone and buried, the world might be a brighter place because the younger generation now are more, more together, they've been able to grow up with each other. Uh, they've got used to the differences and embraced the cultures and everything. We didn't have that when we were at school, do you know what I mean? So I do think the kids, a bit of positive now for the night, I do think the kids are, are a positive hope. They will sort of be the change, but the real change will come from their kids. The world will be a totally different place by then. And a lot of this would hopefully have disappeared because they'd learn from the mistakes of the past. That's where we've gone wrong. We're not learning about, we're not learning any lessons from the past. We're continuing to make them. Just look at, I don't like to get into too much politics, but look what's happening in China at the minute to all the Muslims out there. We, we said that kind of thing would never happen again, and it is. When are we going to start to learn a lesson from the past for change, for good, not to to just cause more division. Because every, every subject at the minute, whatever you say, whatever viewpoint you've got, will cause controversy in the public, in the public arena. Well, I think that's why people need to hear these, hear these voices that, um, you know, all of us, you know, we came out of extremist movements. We were part of the problem before, you know, so, we want people to hear this people we need to have these difficult conversations we need people to uh, unfortunately we learn we learned the hard way but because we learned the hard way you know we have something important to share now and, and that's what we're trying to trying to break through and trying to get through to the public is that um, you know change is possible it doesn't matter what age you are you can be 80 years old and you can you can still change you can still not be that person that you were before you know it's never too late as long as you're still breathing so um you know that's the that's the message we uh, want to send forth and that's kind of how i look at people i never give up on anybody do you know what i mean some people deserve 
some people don't get it. They need two or three or four chances before they realise, do you know what I mean? I think we give up too easy on people, do you know what I mean? Especially Absolutely. the youth. We give up on our youth too easy. We've got to remember they're our future. They're, they're what we need to, to build a company. Like, over here, our kid, my daughter's been out of school for like nearly six months on feeling school holiday, do you know what I mean? She suffered. Her education suffered because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a parent. I'm not checking up on her every 10 minutes like I should be because I might be doing a podcast. I might be doing an interview or something. So I don't know. She's not doing her work. She's on YouTube or something. Do you know what I mean? And every household's doing that because some kids, I've got, I'm a single dad with two kids. So there's other families out there that are working from home. They've got two or three kids. Yep. They've, they've got to get their work done. So they'll, nine times out of 10, just go upstairs in your room for a little while while I do this. And that, that little thing you do might take two hours. They could be watching anything on upstairs, do you know what I mean? So this lockdown period has caused a lot to a lot of the younger younger children to get mixed up in complex issues. Because they haven't been going out with their friends, they've been sitting online. That's what kids do. They sit online, do you know what I mean? And extremists are on every platform nowadays, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I was quite shocked the other day reading some of the articles about TikTok. My daughter's on it all the time, and then I started seeing articles about white supremacy, racism. I looked into it, and it's there. It's it's there, clear as day. But you have to look for it. But it's crazy that they're using any platform now to get some kind of divisive message out there. We're so far behind in challenging them because the online space is is one of them awkward spaces where if you challenge somebody, probably nine times out of ten they'll delete and block you. And then you could have wasted an hour talking to that person. You've said the one thing that's made them think, and they think, right, I've blocked you, know. It's hard to challenge people online. And I, I don't think... It goes back to dialogue. It's hard to think how you can create that space online for that, that. Because what I've noticed, especially with Facebook, is negativity is a thing that gets shared. Violence is a yeah. thing that gets shared. Positivity gets shared by a few people. But if that's a fight, everybody will share that. I mean, it's, right. it's just the way social media works. And I watched the thing about Facebook once, social network or something. It's a social experiment still, do you know what I mean? It's, it's still an experiment. We, we didn't know how this was going to take off or what was going to happen with it. We're still learning ourselves. Well, Ivan... Um want to thank you again for uh, coming on the program. If anybody uh, has anything they want to say in closing, I, I mean, this was a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate having you on the show and um, you know, we'd like to probably have you back again someday. I, th I feel like we could go on for hours, but the show that's the thing, Jeff, right? When you get somebody on the same page as you, you can talk for hours because you understand each other. There's been no arguing. Do you know what I mean? There's, We've had none of that middle ground stuff here. We, we understand it, and that's the difference. We need to remove the middle ground and replace it with common ground. Absolutely. That's amazing. I like the way you said that, you know, because a lot of times that's kind of, we're like, well, we're in the center, we're in the middle, this is the middle ground, but you said it perfectly, you know, take the middle ground out. What do we have in common? What's the common ground? What can we build on? It's not just staying in the center that's a part of it, it but 
what can I we think, gather and build on? We, we need something to build foundations for change and common ground is that one thing that will allow us to do that. You can't build on, on middle ground because nobody wants it. They want who's right or wrong. You need yeah. that, that common ground as a foundation for change. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. No worries. All right. If, if you all like the program, please hit like and subscribe. And thanks again for tuning in to Beyond Barriers. We, uh, on behalf of myself, Acacia Dietz and Ivan Humble, thank you so much for uh, uh, listening and tuning in tonight. And uh, we'll be back again with uh, another great episode. Thank you.